Well, we are, at the be- uh, we are in a series, uh, kind of near the end of a series called In Good Company, and it's a series where we've been looking at different characters throughout Scripture, and not just to look at them to find lives that we want to somehow become like, but how can we find grace for our lives today based on their lives from the past? What do we learn from their lives? What do we learn about the character of God? What do we learn about the character of humanity and how that interaction, that interchange, and we wanna find the grace that this is what it's all about. So that's where we are, and today I wanna invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Judges chapter 13. We're gonna be in 13 through 16, and I said a few weeks ago when I first became a Christian and heard the book of Judges, I was like, oh yeah, that's what I think of Christianity. It's all about judging, and it's about something... But this is not about judging. This is about uh, the judges were a a group of people that were leading Israel. And so this is before they had a king. So the judges would be raised up for a a period of time. um, And then they would depart either through death or whatever. And then the hearts of the people of Israel would wander from God. God would raise up a new judge to lead them. And that's the cycle that they're in that we'll find here in verse 13 or chapter 13, which we'll look at in just a moment. Now the character we're looking at today is a guy that maybe you've heard about, and, and my guess is, like me, if you've heard about him, maybe you know a little of his story, but we misunderstand him, and we don't know all the details of his story. So the person we're looking at today is a guy named Samson. And now, a lot of people, whether you're familiar with the Bible or not, may have heard of Samson and his hair and how that brought him power. And, and so we want to look at his life today, and the title of the message is The Downside of Strength. Because we want to look at the the life of Samson and what actually was going on there and what was actually the downside of his strength. Now, uh, my wife and I just got back from vacation. We had a couple weeks where we were camping, hanging out in the Northwest. Um, I took a few days with just a couple of my boys. We went backpacking up there in the Northwest. Um, We learned very quickly why the Northwest is so green uh, because they don't, they don't schedule the rain to stop in April like we do. They just keep scheduling it all year round. So uh, we did some backpacking up there and I uh, cut it short because of the rain. But we're from San Diego, so give me a break. But, um, but uh, one of the things that I realized on this year, what I did is I pulled out this app called All Trails. I don't know if some of you are hikers and you're familiar with All Trails, but you can pull up anywhere you are in the country and it will show you all the tra- hiking trails near you. But uh, in the past when I went backpacking, what I'd do is I'd print out a, a map and I'd have the map and every time you're on a trail and you get to a point where either the trail ends or it splits off, you kind of pull out the paper map just to get your bearings and see where you are and keep going. But the all trails map, the GPS works no matter where you are when you're way out of service and it even tracks your steps and your calories you burned and your height and all and the elevation and all this stuff except for when it malfunctions at one point. Um, it said that my wife and I were hiking 60 miles an hour. I was like, hey, we can rest for like two weeks now. This is fantastic. But, um, but other than that, but one thing I found is that when I had this app, I would pull it out all the time. I'm out in the middle of nature in the beautiful mountains, and I'd look down after like 100 steps and be like, oh, see, that's where we are now. See that lake? That's, and, and I, I kind of relied on it a little bit too much. But I know, because I've done some hiking and backcountry skiing and things like that, that if you are hiking or skiing or anything out in nature, and you just get a little bit off course, it doesn't take long before you are way off course, before that little bad decision turns into a major bad decision. And when we look at the life of Samson, what we're going to see is he has a series of small decisions that all of a sudden become very big consequences. And so we want to look at his life. Now, 
Samson's life is four chapters long. So, um, and I think in the communication this week, we told you to bring your lunch. And so, uh, we're, just kidding. Some of you are like, seriously? I didn't know to bring my lunch. Um, we're going to skip through and go pretty quickly through his story. Um, if you, you will certainly miss some details, I would encourage you to go back and read it. If you've never read the story of Samson, I, I need to warn you right now, this is not like Sunday school material. This is not what we teach in all detail in our third grade class. So here we go. So Samson in Jab- Judges chapter 13, he was born of a miraculous birth, his, his Mother was barren, and there was an appearance from the angel of the Lord who said, you're going to have a son, but I want you to do something with the son. When he's born, he shall be a Nazarite to the Lord. And what this was, was it was a vow that Israelites could make from time to time, and usually they were temporary vows, but it was called the Nazarite vow, and it was, I'm going to dedicate my life to the Lord for a period of time. Now, Samson Uh, The angel of the Lord said his whole life he is to be a Nazarite to the Lord or dedicated to God his whole life. And the Nazarite vow, what they mention here in Judges 13 is just no strong drink, don't um, eat anything unclean, uh, and and don't, uh, the other one there is don't cut his hair. Now, these three aspects are all part of the Nazarite vow. Uh, as listed in Numbers chapter 6. If you like the extra credit work, it's in Numbers chapter 6, talks about the Nazarite vow. And there's three things that are included with it, and it's, this is the full extent of it. First one is this, that they are to abstain from all great products. It's not just from wine, but it's actually, when you read deeper, it's stay away from vineyards, stay away from eating grapes, don't even eat wine or drink wine. So stay away from anything related to grapes. The second one is, is you don't cut your hair. And that is for a period of time uh, that to dedicate yourself, do not cut your hair. The third one is don't touch anything that is dead. And this is meaning any human or uh, physical life that's died. You can have dead plants, obviously. But so those are the three things. Now those seem like pretty bizarre ways to dedicate yourself to the Lord. But as we look at the history and the other, worship, or the other religions that were mixed in Israel at the time, there's those things all represent false gods. First of all, grapes were used uh, in conjuring up and, and worshiping the fertility gods. So anything that had to do with grapes had to do with fertility. So for a period of time, they said don't even associate with those gods. And it's interesting that here's Samson's mother, who's barren, who is infertile until the Lord shows up and says, don't even play with the fertility gods. Don't worship the fertility gods. So abstain from grapes was a a commentary against worshiping gods of fertility. Trust the creator God to provide what you need. The hair cutting, that seems a little more bizarre. Why should you not cut your hair? Well, in in the ancient Near East, Often hair was used in magical incantations, potions, things like that. They would trim parts of their hair, put it into some sort of uh, Harry Potter type potion, and and, and they would worship and and do these kind of magical incantations. So again, not every time someone cut their hair, but if you're dedicating yourself to the Lord, they say take a period of time. Don't even be accused of being a part of this. So don't cut your hair so that no one thinks You've been a part of the magic. Now, and then the third one of don't touch anything dead because it's gross. So, okay, those are the three. 
The dead, the dead thing actually had to do with the cult of the dead, is what it was called. And people would um, try to conjure up the spirits of their ancestors and, and try to communicate with the dead. So again, the vow was don't even associate with these. These are things that are false gods and are leading you astray. So Samson's life begins with this command to be a Nazarite for his entire life. Now, does it mean he never got a, his hair trimmed? I don't know. My guess is he somehow kept it somewhat trimmed, but it was a long hair. Uh, we, I don't know how that worked because if he never cut his hair, that would be quite long. So I, I'm sure there were, were times when he was allowed to go to Great Clips. But so Samson, uh, now we're in Judges chapter 14. Samson has been born. It says this, Samson went down to Timnah and he saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Um, young men, single men, this is not how it works anymore, okay? So this is just the ancient Near Eastern culture. And his father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you should go and take a wife from instead that you want to go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said, get her for me for she looks good to me. <laughs> Love it. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. For he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now at the time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. So here's something that God allowed to stir in the heart of Samson. And little did we know that God was going to use something that would be unusual in Israel to use it for his glory or to bring about um, something against the Philistines. Now, often when we see God uh, and the people of Israel against other cultures, it had to do with our God versus your God. And keeping the hearts of the people from turning to these other gods and worshiping other gods. So God saw that the Israelites being ruled by the Philistines, their hearts were being drawn in that direction. So he's looking for an occasion to say, this, we will ultimately demonstrate that the creator God is still in control and it's not the gods of the Philistines. So... Samson goes down to Timnah with his father and mother. Um, he wanders off, and it says this in verse 5, A young lion came roaring towards Samson, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so he tore him as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father and mother what he did. Now, I, I don't know about you, I used to uh, live on a farm and work on a farm every summer um, at a, a dairy and a beef farm, but... Notice what it says. He tore the lion like one would tear a young goat. How many of you guys know how one would tear a young goat? I, I, don't, I don't know. I just think sometimes culturally we read something and think like, oh, oh, just like you tore a young goat. Man, that guy is really ripped. I, I don't know. Sorry, did that turn out to be a pun? That was a pun. I did not mean that. <laughs> so the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he tore this young or this lion just like you and I would tear a young goat. Okay, so... He went down and talked with the woman. She looked good to Samson. When he returned later to take her, in other words, for the wedding feast, he turned aside to look at the carcass of a lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey in his hands and went on eating it as he went. When he came to his father and mother, he gave them some of the honey and they ate it, but he didn't tell them that he scraped the honey out of the body of a lion. Then his father went down to, to the woman, and Samson made a feast there, and the women, and, as the young men customarily did this, when they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. So here's the scene. 
Samson is going back down. He, he, he looks aside, sees the lion that he killed, some honey in it. He eats the honey. Sounds gross to me, but whatever. So he's eating this honey. And now he's having the wedding feast. And it says they give him 30 companions. What happened in the ancient Near East, this was a combining of two different cultures that were getting married. And the 30 companions would be from the family of his, wife, his new wife or from the Philistines. And they said when they saw him, they gave him 30 companions. That's a pretty big wedding party. And uh, the purpose of that is those companions were not there to stand by Samson's side. They were to stand by her side and keep an eye on Samson. So they saw him and said, we need 30. So they got 30 people standing by his side. So Samson said to these new companions, let me give you a riddle. If you tell it to me within seven days of the feast and find out, I'll give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. But if you can't do it, you give me 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. Sounds like a weird bet, but uh, these are not just like thrift store clothes. Uh, The terminology here is probably the wedding feast clothes. These are like Armani three-piece suits. This was actually a very expensive bet that he just gave them. And he gives them the riddle and says, out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. They could not tell the riddle in three days and it came about on the fourth day that they went to Samson's wife and said, entice your husband so he'll tell us a riddle or we will burn you in your father's house with fire. <laughs> okay, so have you, have you invited us to impoverish us if this is not so. So Samson's wife, Samson's wife wept before him and said, you only hate me, you don't love me. You've given this riddle to the sons of my people and haven't even told it to me. Samson said, I haven't even told it to my own father and mother, so why should I tell you? And she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him so hard. So he, she then told the riddle to the sons of her people. So basically, he's like, okay, enough. I'll just tell you, would you just quit bugging me? So he tell, she tells the answer to the man of the city. And they say this. Now, this is an interesting, this is side note for you Bible nerds uh, like me. Uh, this is, uh, they respond in a riddle of their own. They say, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? So they give him the answer, but they gave him the answer in the form of a riddle. Now, I'll give you the answer to their riddle was what's str- sweeter than honey, the love of a woman. What's stronger than a lion? The love of a woman. Samson just destroyed a lion, just like one would destroy a young goat. And so he can overpower a lion, but what can overpower Samson? The love of a woman. So they give the answer in the form of a riddle, and he gets their riddle. So basically they're saying, we got the answer, and guess what? Where we got it from? We just got it from your new wife. So then he says, if you did not plow with my heifer, you would not have found my riddle. Guys looking for, you know, some hip new lingo? There you go. Don't plow with my heifer. <laughs> um, ancient historians don't even know what that phrase means, but they figure it has something to do with, you got that answer from my wife. So, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson mightily. He went down to Ashkelon, which was about 35 miles away. He killed 30 of the Philistines, took their spoil, gave the changes of clothes to those who told the riddle. His anger burned, and he went up to his father's house. But his wife was given to his companion who had been his friend. This is not a good start to his marriage, okay? This is <laughs> chapter 15. After a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. So this is, would be customary if he, 
sometimes what they would do is they'd get married, he'd go back to his father's house and prepare the place for them to move into. By the time of Christ, we see the similar parable, but they would not get the, consummate the marriage until they had the house prepared. In this case, he went away preparing the house. He's going back to visit his wife. He brings a young goat that was customary to bring a gift to the father-in-law. And his father says, I really thought, in verse two, that you hated her intensely, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please let her be yours instead. Again, this is not the story that we say like, oh, let's learn some lessons to apply to our lives today. This is great. (laughs) There's a lesson, but this is not it. (laughs) Samson said, this time I shall be blameless in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. And he went and caught 300 foxes. The word here could be also jackals. Some people believe that it's actually referring to jackals because they hunted in packs. It would make more sense. It's the same word, and they both existed in Israel at the time. So either way, he went and caught 300 foxes or jackals. He tied them tail to tail. He put a torch in between the tails. He set the torches on fire and released the foxes and jackals into the standing grain of the Philistines, burning up their shocks of standing grain along with all their vineyards and all their orchards. And the Philistines said, who did this? And they said, Samson, the son of the Timnite, because they took his wife and gave it to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. So this is not, this is called a a bad cycle that they're in right now. (laughs) So what we see here is Samson is just escalating everything that happens. This time he said, now I'll be justified in what I'm going to do. And notice the fate that came to his wife and father-in-law was the same of the original threat. If you don't tell us, we'll burn you up with fire. They do it anyway. So Samson, in verse seven, says, since you acted like this, I will surely take revenge on you, but after that, I'll quit. (laughs) So reasonable. So he struck them ruthlessly with a great slaughter, and he went down and lived in the cleft of the rock of Etham. So we have Samson slaughtered them. He said again, because you've done this, one more time I'll get revenge. Now, a little bit later in chapter uh, 15, the Philistines go down. Samson is living in one of the tribes of Israel called Judah. They say, hey, we know Samson's living among you. We're going to fight you unless you hand him over. So they agree to hand him over. It says three th- in verse 11, 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock and said to Samson, don't you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? And what then is that you've done to us? As they did to me, so I've done to them, he said. And they said, we've come down to bind you that we may give you to the hands of the Philistines. He agrees. He says, okay, I'll let you hand me over, but you can't kill me. So they say, we won't. They bind him with new ropes. They take him to the Philistines. Jump down to verse 14. When they came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson so that the ropes were on his arms were as flax burned with fire. The bonds dropped from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out and took it and killed a thousand men with it. I don't know where you find those, but he found one. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. And he sings this song, and look at all the way down to verse 20 of chapter 15. So Samson judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. 
So this, first, this is part one of his story. And it ends with him being leader over Israel. But notice I want you to see something. We could talk about a lot of things about Samson's life, but there's an escalation that's going on. Notice the first time he had anger, he has 30 people were killed to get their clothes. The next time he has anger, it says there's 300 foxes. It's escalated to a point. The next time it took 3,000 men to bound him and bring him. Every time the author is showing us that Samson's this cycle of violence and revenge is going like 10 times. It's not just one step greater. There's 10 times every time something happens. It's showing us here this just cycle of violence that the only thing that can break it is grace. When uh, my family was living in Israel, we were celebrating Christmas uh, Eve in Bethlehem. I know, cliche. And uh, we, were, we were there, and there was a sermon that was given that night. We were actually on the shepherd's fields outside of Bethlehem. And the sermon that was given that night was the hope that Jesus had. And while we were living in the Middle East, it made a lot of sense. They said, the only hope for peace in this region is grace that comes through Jesus. Because until then, there's always someone you need to avenge. There's always a family member that's been harmed because of something you've done in the past. And the only way to break this cycle of violence and revenge is grace. It's the only thing strong enough. Here in this story, that's not what the point of the morning is, but I want you just to notice that, that sometimes when we fail to forgive or we fail to let go, that this cycle just get, we, it escalates. We get deeper and deeper into greater consequences. We find that happening in Samson's life. Now, he rules Israel for 20 years. Check out chapter 16, verse one. Now, Samson went to Gaza and saw a prostitute there and went to her. I don't know, but I, when I read this, I just think, okay, how, how do you get there? How do you get there from just, he's ruling Israel, oh, and then he went to Gaza and saw a prostitute. This is just, this is why I think the Bible is real, because you wouldn't write this if you're writing the history of your heroes. <laughs> Skip down to verse four. Samson, it came about that Samson loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. Her name was Delilah. And this is the story that many of us know. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, entice him and so we can see where his great strength lies and how we, how we may overpower him and that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Historians have kind of done the, the math and believe from that time to this time, that probably represented somewhere in the ballpark of 20 to $25 million today. So they were not offering her just like, here, you can go out. Here's a gift card to, you know, claim jumper. This is like... This is, we're going to make you rich if you hand him over. So entice him. So, so Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. Isn't that an interesting question? <laughs> so Samson says to her in verse 7, if you bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, I'll become weak like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, dried. She bound him with them. She had men lying in wait in an inner room, and she said to him, Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string of toes snaps when it touches fire. His strength was not discovered. Again, she says, behold, you deceived me. You told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. So he says, if you bind me tightly with new ropes that have not been used, I'll become weak like any other man. So, she binds him with new ropes that have never been used. She says, the Philistines have come upon you. He breaks the ropes 
escapes again. Verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, up until now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. Do you see a a pattern in this relationship that's not healthy? I don't know. (laughs) So he says, if you weave seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with a pin, I'll become weak like any other man. So when he slept, she weaved his hair into the, into, and this was like a loom that made rugs. It was a, a vertical loom. And said, put my hair in the vertical loom and then I'll be weak like anyone else. So she does that. She says, the Philistines are upon you. He jumps up, pulls the loom over and escapes. Verse 15, Delilah says to him, how can you say to me, I love you when your heart is not with me? <laughs> You've deceived me these three times and you've not told me where your great strength is. Notice he doesn't say, well, how can you say you love me when you've tried to kill me three times? <laughs> Guess that part of the argument's not being listed. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. So he told her all that was in his heart and he said to her, a razor's never come on my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I'm shaved, my strength will leave me and I'll become weak like any other man. She saw that he had told her all that was in his heart. She sent and called the lords of the Philistines, come up once more. She cuts off, it says, seven locks of his hair, representing shaving the whole head. She called and said in verse 20, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as the other times. I'll shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed him. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains. And he was a grinder in the prison. In other words, he worked the rest of his life grinding out grain with a big millstone. When we look at Samson's life, uh, it's interesting how when he's talking with Delilah, that he eventually spills and, and, and shares his whole heart with her. There's some things here that we find in Samson's life that actually his strength became his weakness. See, he believed that nothing was going to take away his strength. He had long forgotten that it really wasn't about his hair, but it was about the presence of God in his life because he had been doing a lot of things on his own. And if you go back, you'll find that there are times when Samson, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, but some of the times the Spirit of the Lord didn't. And his great strength was shown time and time again. He started to believe that it was his strength. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. What Samson wasn't doing is he wasn't watching over his heart. It says he told everything that was in his heart to Delilah. He was, he was not guarding his heart. Larry Osborne says that we should guard our hearts or we'll lose our mind. See, out of our heart flows the springs of life. And we find here that Samson wasn't guarding his heart. So what are the lessons that we can find? Because when we look at this story, I hope a lot of you can't really relate to most of the events in it. But the truth is, I think we all can relate somewhat to Samson. So what are the lessons? There's three lessons I believe there are for today. The first one is this. God's patience does not signify his approval. If God is patient with you, that does not mean that he approves of what you are doing. Here in Samson's life, he was very patient with Samson, but let's not for a moment mistake that to mean that God was happy with Samson and his decisions. 
So don't mistake God's patience with his approval. We know that God is a patient God. In Psalm 86, verse 15, it says, But you, O Lord, are God who is merciful and gracious. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and verse 15, it says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but all should come to repentance. You see, this, we see time and time again that God is incredibly patient with us and our dumb decisions. He's incredibly patient. He's incredibly gracious. But that doesn't mean that he looks at our decisions and say, well, it doesn't really matter. Samson was dedicated to God. He was a Nazarite to the Lord. And time and time again, we see him break that vow over and over and over again. There's no way God was saying like, well, whatever, I don't care. But he was patient with Samson. He wanted him to come to full repentance, to experience the full grace of God, and we'll find ultimately he does. Some of you are here and you think maybe there's decisions that you've made and you think, well, at first it felt like a big deal, but nothing's really happened. So maybe God's not all that upset with me. Now, God loves you and cares about you and wants the best for your life. When we compromise and live lives of sin, he's not saying like, oh, that's fine. I want you to live that way. He wants the best for you. His heart breaks over it. He is patient, but it doesn't always equal his approval. The next lesson we see is this. Small compromises can lead to big consequences. Look at Samson's life. Let's remember the vow. Don't be associated with anything to do with grapes. Don't touch anything dead and don't cut your hair, okay? Those are the three main things. First thing we find in Samson, he tears this lion apart. apart. The next time he's walking down that same road, what does he do? He looks to see the lion. He wants to see like, oh, do you remember that time I tore a lion just like I tore a young goat? I want to check out that lion. He looks. Was that a big deal? No. A slight compromise. Tempting himself to look at this dead thing that he was not to associate with. He goes, oh, look, that looks like some delicious honey inside the carcass of a lion. Sentence I've never said in my life, for real life. He reaches in and takes it. Now he's now touched a dead thing, broke his vow. We find him in the next story. He destroys a vineyard. He's catching jackals and foxes and lighting a vineyard on fire. He's breaking his vow. He's in a vineyard. He picks up a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Do you know where you get a fresh jawbone of a donkey? Not from a live donkey. (laughs) He picks up a bone, touches a dead thing. He's compromised his vow. So it's no surprise that in chapter 16, it starts off and says, Samson went down to Gaza and saw a prostitute. In context, there's been small compromises his whole life. It's not like he's like, I've never sinned. I've made a vow to the Lord. I've never, never compromised anything. I live for Jesus. This is my whole life. Ooh, prostitute. I mean, that's, that's not how the story went. That was funny in my head. Okay, so, but how the story goes is I got used to compromising here and here and here, and I'm strong. I'm strong on my own. I don't even know if God would ever leave me because I've got everything I need. I can even see a prostitute. It doesn't matter. Small compromises can lead to big consequences, even with Delilah. Why did he keep toying with her, keep giving her different answers? He was pretty impressed with his own strength. 
He kept telling her different things, but they kept getting closer and closer to the truth. Started talking about, finally got to, well, tie my hair into the loom. Close, not all the way. And then he said, finally, you know, it is about my hair. Cut my hair. Now, his strength was never in his hair. It was in the presence of God. But that was the point in which God said, Samson, you need to understand. The spirit of the Lord is departing him here. It's time to face your consequences. And your consequences now are so much bigger than they would have been. Small compromises can lead to big consequences. We saw that in David's life. We've seen that many times. Psalm 51 verse 17 says this, the sacrifices that God desires is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. A spirit that's willing to turn from our sin. A spirit that's willing to turn back to God. The sacrifice that God wants from us is a broken heart that says, Lord, without you, I'm nothing. My strength is nothing without you. I want to have a heart that's open before you, that is willing to turn, willing to follow you. As that song we sang earlier, oh, to be like you. I'll give all I have just to know you, Jesus. That's the heart. That's the sacrifice that God wants. And Samson didn't understand. Third point, our path can't change God's ultimate purposes. Another way to think of it, if you like the alliteration, is your detours won't change God's ultimate destination. When God wants to accomplish something, you can't thwart his plans with your bad decisions. Samson could not thwart God's plans even with all of his bad decisions. But here's the thing. Do we want to share in the blessings of God's plan or do we want to be on the outside of it? Samson didn't get to share in the blessings of God's plans here, but God still completed what he wanted to complete. At the end of chapter 16, it says this. They brought Samson in, or in verse 23, the Philistines, the lords of the Philistines, assembled a great, to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. And they rejoiced and said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God and said, our God has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country who has slain many of us. And so it happened that they were in high spirits. They called for Samson to amuse them. Again, this theme of Samson messing with people shows up and now he's, messing, and now he's being amusing to them, but not by his own choice. And the house was full of men and Philistines. There was about 3,000 people there on the roof and inside the building. Samson was blinded. They were playing games with him, we believe, probably like setting up things in front of him and making him walk and run into him. And they were amusing themselves with him. Samson's goes to the center of the temple. We have archaeological evidence of these temples that had pillars down the middle. Some of them were about the size of this room. There's people on top, people on the inside. He puts his hands on the pillars and cries out, oh Lord, just one more time, will you give me the strength? Empower me. And he pushes over the pillars, collapses the temple, and dies with all of them. Now, we could talk about why God does certain things and allows certain things like that to happen. But ultimately, this was God saying, I want people in my land, including the Philistines, to understand that I am, that your gods and and God Dagon and the other Philistine gods, the worship of those gods included prostitution, uh, things against children, all kinds of stuff that were very contrary to the heart of God. So in this, it was God's declaration against them that your gods are not the ones in power. I am the creator God. And there's a better way to treat people. There's a better way to live. And God ultimately enacts his plan. Proverbs chapter 16, verse four says, the Lord works everything out to its proper end, even the wicked for the day of disaster. So our decisions can't change God's ultimate destination. 
even when we make poor decisions. Now, some of you are listening to this and maybe you think, well, where's the hope? And as the worship team makes their way back up, I want to end with reminding ourselves of where the hope is actually found. See, because when I started, I said many of us aren't, can't relate to Samson. We don't have the strength to tear a lion like one would tear a goat. <laughs> we maybe can't even understand what it means to be dedicated to the Lord with this vow. So maybe we don't feel like we relate, but the truth is, you and I are very much like Samson. Often in our lives, we make a series of small, compromising decisions. We have hearts that are prone to stray from God. Hearts that say, Lord, I'm all yours. And then we're distracted and our hearts go away. In the end, here Samson has this moment where he realizes he's been defeated. He realizes that he's nothing without his God and he cries out to him. The very reason Jesus Christ came to give himself on the cross is because you and I need him. We need the hope that's found in Jesus. We need one who's willing to look in all of our poor decisions of the past, the present, and the future and say, what I will do on the cross is enough for you. You can't be strong enough to be good for me. You can't find it in you to never make a mistake, but where you are weak, I am strong. And so some of you are here today and maybe you're here filled with guilt, maybe shame, maybe hopelessness. And the message for us today is that because of Jesus, all of that is done. You may have hope. You can be strong in Christ. There is a new day for you and for me. So for those of you who are here and feeling kind of beat up, feeling like you are so far from God, the call for you today is to return, to turn your heart to Jesus because he's the one who will forgive and offer you something new this morning. For some of you, maybe you're here and you say, I haven't even sinned in a month. If that's you, be reminded it's not you, but if it was, be reminded that the good news is so good that Jesus makes that possible that you can actually live for him. That's because of the work of Christ in you that he gives you that power and that strength. So the message to those of you who feel like you're doing pretty well, let's come to Jesus. That's where we wanna turn day after day after day Let's not be like Samson who wanders so far away that the only thing he can see is how strong he is. Let's be a people who keep turning and say, Jesus, you are so strong, so we don't have to be. Let's turn our hearts to him today. So pray with me and we're gonna respond with a couple songs. Lord God, we thank you so much for the examples that we find in scripture, the examples of people who Frankly, sometimes, Lord, I just scratch my head and think, how did you let that get into the Bible? But then I'm reminded that we are so much like these people, so prone to look to ourselves, so prone to be impressed with our own strength, so prone to walk away from you. But Jesus, that's why you came, to give us hope where there isn't any. So Lord, let us be a people this morning who turn to you 
whether we're coming out of desperation or we're coming out of gratefulness, Lord, this morning we acknowledge without you we're nothing. With you we have all we need. So receive our praise. Change our hearts. Speak to each one of us now in this place. Transform us into a people who truly know and love you. In Jesus' name.